Hey, we're in uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. Now, you know we've come through the millennium. We studied the millennium. Uh, we studied the great white throne judgment. We, we studied the end of all evil, that Satan is thrown into the lake of fire where he joins the false prophet and the Antichrist, who have been there for a thousand years. And that this week, everything is going to be made new. We go into eternity, the eternal order we don't have much information on. Chapters 21 and 22 of Revelation give us a little sneak peek of what we can expect, but we don't have a lot of information on this, so we'll try to glean as much as we can from this. All things made do, and I just love this. I'm going to mention this many times. I can only imagine. I can only imagine what is awaiting for waiting us. I can only imagine. So if you would, stand for reading of God's word. We honor God when we stand and we read his word. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth have passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirst. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us this time that we can carve out of our week to gather together corporately to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Holy Spirit, I ask that you speak to each heart here today things that you want us to hear and to learn from this talk. You'll touch each one of us individually. None of us will walk out not being spoken to by our God. May we have ears to hear, eyes to see the things of the Spirit. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All things made new, I can only imagine. As you know, the theme of Revelation is Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of Kings, and there's a new one added this week. Jesus is coming to renew all things. All things will be renewed. Now, we talked last time, last time we met, we talked about Jesus being the judge. He will be the one that judges at the great white throne. He is the one that sacrificed for the sins of the world, and he will be the one that judges those who have rejected his sacrifice. In John 5, we see the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now remember, Jesus died for the sins of the world, and for those who rejected him, he will indeed judge. He will indeed judge. Remember, we cannot fathom what Jesus went through, the horrific death that he did in our stead. He died in our place. The humiliation that he experienced, naked on the cross, beaten, the Son of God. God gave his best for us. We cannot fathom the pain of the crucifixion. But one thing I know we cannot fathom is what Jesus felt when he felt all the sins of the world coming upon himself. And, he, and he, we hear these, this word, this cry from the cross, My God, my God, 
Why have you forsaken me? Jesus at that time felt the pain of separation from his father. He never ceased being God, but he being the man dying on the tree, the God man felt separation from his father for the first time in eternity. And he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken? Remember, Jesus bore all of our sins on the tree, not just some of our sins, past, present, future, when he died for us. 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We cannot fathom the love that God has for people, for his people. Can you imagine sacrificing your son for the sins of the world and then people saying, we do not want you, Jesus. We do not need you, Jesus. We are complete in ourselves, Jesus. We will make our own way, Jesus. We will not submit to you in any way, Jesus. You remember Jesus told the parable of the ten minas in Luke 19, 14. And he said, it says this, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation to him saying, we will not have this man rule over us. Jesus was saying that's what the, that's what the, that the people in Israel would not, would not do. The leadership in Israel, we will not have this Jesus rule over us. And that's the posture of people today when God has given so much for, his, for, for people. He gave his son. Now think about this. For all of the folks who want to do their own thing, want to have their own way, Hebrews 10.29 is so profound, and I said this to you last week, says this, of how much worse punishment do you suppose for those who have trampled the Son of God under the, underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing, and insulted the Spirit of grace? How much worse punishment? Remember that word was timoria, timoria, and the men's men's vengeful punishment, wrath, wrath. Folks, Jesus is the righteous judge. He will judge. Believers will be judged at the Bema seat, not for their sins, not for any condemnation, and for, not, for their, not for their sins. All the condemnation was placed on Jesus. All the wrath that we deserve was placed on Jesus. We'll be judged for our works and receive rewards or loss of rewards at that judgment. Oh, but the great white throne is so much different. Sins will be judged. The books will be open. And if your book is not, if your, if your name is not written in the book of life, you will end up in the lake of fire forever. When it says the books were opened, those books were every action, and think about this, every thought, every intention of the heart will be weighed. Look at Hebrews 4.13 is very, very, I don't want to say condemning, but it's very, it's very, con, it's very, Stressful. Let me just put it this way. Uh, can, can I have a do-over on that? <laughs> God is great at start-overs, isn't he? Great at, hey, Hebrews 4.13, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. Hey, if your name is not written in the book of life, it is because you have rejected Jesus Christ as your Savior. Time and time and time again. Remember, God is very persistent. He keeps coming. He keeps coming, but there is a time when God says no more and you've passed your time of grace. And that is the saddest thing that anybody can hear. And I would ask you this, what's wrong with us? What's wrong with people? What's wrong with people that they, that they want their own way so bad? And I would say this, it's because in our flesh, we are depraved. We are depraved and self-centered and people generally believe what they want to believe. 
what makes them comfortable. I've introduced to you this guy in the past. His name was Blaise Pascal. He died in 1662. He was a philosopher, physicist, mathematician, scientist, and Christian. And he had this quote, people almost invariably arrive at their beliefs, not on the basis of proof, but on the basis of what they find attractive. If I find it attractive, then I'll believe it. And most people want what they want. And most people don't want to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a tragedy. Listen to this. Denying what Jesus taught about hell is not rational. Jesus warned about hell more than he spoke about the glory of heaven. And he said, whatever you do, don't go there. Remember, he said, if you have to, cut off your hand, cut off your foot, pluck out your eye. Remember, he's using hyperbole in that scripture in Mark. He's not saying actually do this, but he's saying it's so awful, don't go there. Whatever you do, whatever you do, death is real, heaven is real, hell is real. And folks, we must deal with that as humans. We must deal with it. There is an eternal destiny for each of us. And the question that Pilate asked the crowd when Jesus was, just before Jesus was crucified, remember what he said? What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? That resonates through humanity. What will each of you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And what you do with him will determine your eternal destiny. Remember, God's desire is really clear. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, that all be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God has provided the way. God's desire is for every human to be saved. But a human has to do this. Believe and receive the gift. The simplest scripture that I can see in, in all of scripture about salvation is Acts 16, 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Now remember that word believe. It was pistio. Pistio. It means commit to. Put your trust in. Rely on Jesus Christ as your Savior. It doesn't do any good for you to believe that Jesus died on a cross, that he was buried, he rose again the third day, unless you commit yourself to him, rely on him, trust in him as your sin bearer, that he took all of your sins. You can have mental knowledge, but unless you put it into your heart and receive him as your Savior, you are still lost. And that's the truth. That's the truth. Now this week, this week, we're going to see all things made new. I can only imagine. Now think about this. What will eternity be like? Now we don't have a clue. We get a little sneak peek in Revelation 21 and 22 of the future. We are not told a lot about eternity, but we are told a few things that we can, we, we can come to a conclusion on. Number one, evil will be destroyed. It will be destroyed. Never to raise its ugly head again. All suffering, pain, and sickness gone. All corruption, corrupt governments, and kings gone. And think about this one. No more family strife. No more divorce. No more fighting. No more kids hating their parents. Parents trying not to hate their kids. Okay? No more corrupt religions people leading people away from the true God. No more Satan. Remember, adversary. He's the adversary of God. No more devil. Remember, he's an accuser. He is the slanderer. And remember, we also learned a third thing about him as far as the devil. He is one that comes between, between God and people, between people and people. He's an instigator. He wants to cause tumult and confusion. Folks, it all starts with the new creation, a new heaven and a new earth. In verse 1, we read, 
Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away. They are no more. Also there was no more sea. An interesting statement, no more sea. What in the world does that mean? Why is there no more sea? Well, you'll discover that in just a second. So why a new heaven and a new earth? Well, it's this. The original creation has been contaminated by Satan and sin. And I want to make a statement here. God is making everything new. And just indelibly print this in your minds. God is great at startovers. God is great at redos. And all I can say is thank you, Lord, for that. That you keep giving us chance after chance. I am thankful for that. Now, some believe the existing earth will be redone. Will be redone. Randy Elkhorns wrote a book, and it, it talks about the earth being redone. I think it's going to be not redone. I think it's the millennial reign that will be redone. But for the eternity, it's going to be brand spanking new. 2 Peter 3.10, remember we went through this last time, tells us the whole thing is going to come apart. The heavens will pass away with a great noise. Everything God does is great. Great noise, loud. Great noise, loud. And the elements... Those, those things that hold everything together will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. That sounds like new right down to the beginning to me. Sounds like this old earth and universe will be done away with. Now think about this. I'm going to mention this again. God is great at startovers. No one is too far gone. No situation is so bleak that God cannot intervene and you have a new day, a new start. He's great with startovers. John saw a new heaven and a new earth. That new is kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S, and it means qualitatively new, not redone like the millennium, different and superior to the old, brand spanking new and guess what is who it's for? It's just for you, the believer. Isn't that something? I mean, think about what's coming. What will not exist anymore? Well, he says there's no more sea. And I'm wondering, why in the world does he mention there's no more sea? What's the big deal about the sea? Then I did some research on it. And in, in, in Hebrewism and in ancient literature, the ancient times, the sea was characterized by chaos and disorder. And there will be no more chaos and disorder It'll all be gone. There will be no more sea. Everything will be peace, joy, and tranquility when God is in full reigning mode. Full reigning mode. Secondly, I was thinking about this. The new environment will not be water-based. Now look at You are water-based. 60% of you who are old is water. Do you know that 90% of a newborn is water? We are water-based. And, and the scripture says, uh, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So, so human flesh is composed of, of the water. In the glorified state, we will not be flesh and blood. Now, aren't you glad? Because this hurts here. Okay? This hurts. I'm in a certain amount of discomfort most of the time. And so are you. Even if you're 20, 20, you twist your leg, you hurt your ankle, you have some discomforts, Previews of coming attractions. Just get used to that program. <laughs> we are going to get a spiritual body, and think about this, it'll never break down. 
Never break down. I'm going, yes, yes, never break down, never deteriorating. And I'm looking forward to that day when I can be in heaven, five foot ten me, bouncing the ball, LeBron's leaping up, and I, I don't know if LeBron's going to be there, but if he's there, <laughs> he leaps up, and I just, boom, right, and I stuff because God has given me a great body. I'm still in the flesh, aren't I? <laughs> I'm stuck here. But anyway, 1 Corinthians 15, 42, our body is sown in dishonor, and it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, this old one, and it's raised in power. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 tells us very straight up, there's a natural body, that's what we're in right now, and there is a spiritual body that's coming. It's coming for every believer. In 1 Corinthians 15, 50, just the verse I said, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, we're getting a new body. A new body, brand new. A new heavens and a new earth, yes. And we are getting a new body, Kano. I'm just throwing that in there. Brand spanking new, yes. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. God will dwell with his people. You know, heaven's going to be great because God will be dwelling with you intimately, personally. We have the Spirit of God dwelling within but we were going to be having relationship with God at a different level when we get in heaven. It's going to be spectacular. Watch verse 2 and 3. It says this, Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Look what God has done for us. And I heard another loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God, the mishkan of God, is with men, and he will dwell with them. They shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. This speaks of intimacy at a whole different level, folks. A whole different level. Your future home will be the new Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem. And again, new Jerusalem Kano's new. Not like the old city Jerusalem. When you go to Israel, you visit Jerusalem, you go, oh, isn't this cool? All that white rock and all that stuff. It's nice. Visit Jerusalem. It's beautiful. Nothing like the new Jerusalem. A giant city coming down. And it's, prepared, it's a prepared place in its existence in heaven prior to this event. And I want you to think about something. Jesus in John 14, 1 through 3. Remember he said, in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so, I would have told you so. And I go to prepare a place for you. Where do you think that preparation is taking place? You think it might be the new Jerusalem? That he's got your room specifically picked out for you? The new Jerusalem prepared for you. Some believe the new, new Jerusalem will hover above the earth. Now, people fight over this. Is it going to be hovering above the earth? Will it be on the earth? All I can say about that is I don't know. I don't care. I won't engage in that argument. The city is like a bride adorned for her husband. Describe this way. Why? Like a bride on her wedding day, Jesus is sparing nothing in preparation for her husband. God will spare nothing in adorning the new Jerusalem for his people. I can only imagine what that will be like. I can just, I can't imagine it. I can't imagine it. Now we have a picture of a cube coming down. This is the old city, nasty Dome of the Rock, okay. The New Jerusalem, pristine, pure. 
It'll be a cube. We'll see these measurements and that. You'll see these pictures again in the coming weeks as we go through the New Jerusalem. Now, the size of this is rather impressive. Yeah, look at the size. of over half the United States. This is going to be huge. 15, 15, 15. It's a cube. It, this is giant. And within that space will be you. Now, in past teachings when I've done this, I brought the Borg cube in, but I didn't feel that was appropriate today. So anyway, the greatest thing, think about this. The greatest thing about the new Jerusalem is the presence of God. The presence of God. God will dwell with his people because they have been, now hear this, reconciled to God. Remember, that's a theological term, isn't it? Reconciled to God, but it's an important term. Jesus' death reconciled believers to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10 and 11, we've read numerous times. But the word reconciled is this. It is kalasso. Kalasso. And it means this. God takes our sin on himself and establishes a relationship of peace with mankind. God has withdrawn his wrath. And may I add, this withdrawing of wrath is only for those who believe. If you do not believe, you will still experience the wrath of God. Tragic. Do not overlook the significance of this, of this term. Jesus' death in our place reconciled to us to God, restored a right relationship with God. Jesus' righteousness is imputed to you. Now, Father looks at you just like he looks at his Son, Pure and holy and clean. That is called justification. Another theological term which you are familiar with. God will tabernacle with his people. He will dwell with his people. He will dwell with them, shaken with them, be close to them. Heaven is all about God dwelling with his people. Deep, deep intimacy. God himself will be with them and be their God. I can only imagine. The triune God, the triune God will be dwelling with his people. In the glorified state, look, we can't understand the Trinity. Remember, we've had several teachings on the Trinity and the overlapping ellipticals and Father, Son, and, De and Holy Spirit, three persons, one, one entity God. And that's hard to understand. But there will be a time when the light goes on, dink, and we get it. Ever been in a physics class? Ever been in a chemistry class? And you're going, I'm lost. I'm lost. I, I don't know what this guy's talking about. I'm, I'm absolutely lost. And all of a sudden, tink, the light goes on. And you go, I get it. I get it. You tell everybody in the class, I get it. So they, at least I did. I get it. Well, finally, Rick, you got it. Okay. That's, that's nice. You, there'll be a time when you, when you get it. Everything will make sense. In 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul gives us a heads up on the time we, we'll get it. We'll understand. He says this, I shall know fully. Even as I am fully known, I shall know. That word is epigonoso. Gnoso means knowledge. Epigonoso means all knowledge, full knowledge. We will know everything. It'll be crystal clear. We will, for the first time in our life, understand the Trinity. We will, for the first time in our life, understand every physics question, every chemistry question, every quantum mechanics question, any question that you have, any, any why evil, why evil, you'll understand that. Why, 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 instantly, full knowledge, full knowledge. We will know everything. 
And we know that God does work all things for good when we're reflecting back and look at our lives and wonder why all this mess. We know that He is working all things out for good. And again, I like to say this, it's not all good, but He will work good, uh, good through it. And it's also good to know that God is working out all things according to the counsel of His will. Folks, God will dwell with His people. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Now, what God's presence is going to mean to you. His presence is going to mean to you, verse 4 and 5. Watch this. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Now, is that not good news? Yes, it is. Now, these are painful tears, okay? Now, we have tears of joy and that sort of thing. All pain gone. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. The former things have passed away. All done. Gone. Heaven, folks, is a place of no more. No more. But it's also a place of forever peace, joy, purpose, love, fulfillment. And might I say this? Adventure. You don't think the Creator is going to give us one adventure after another. It'll be great. No more tears. No more death. No more mourning. No more pain. No more disease. No more sorrow. No more hurt. All removed. Your vocabulary in heaven won't contain any of this language. There won't be one person bringing up any of those words. Isn't it amazing? No tears, death, mourning, pain gone forever. But it's much more expanded than that. No more funeral homes, hospitals, abortion clinics, divorce courts, brothels, bankruptcy, police, lawyers, jail, psychiatric wards. You fill in the blanks. Family strife, emotional strife. On it goes. No more hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, any of that stuff. The curse of Genesis is no more. No more because there's no more sin. The former things have passed away no more. Isaiah 65, 17 gives us a little bit of a, a heads up on, on, on this whole concept. Let me read this to you. For behold, I create, and that's create, bara, that's that word bara, just like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Bara, ex nihilo, out of nothing. For behold, I create bara, a new heavens, in a new earth. And watch what he says. And the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. We will not remember this chaos, this sea of chaos that we're living in today. Gone. No more. Forever new. Done. And I think that's, a, that's good news. Behold, I make all things new. Now remember, I believe that creation started with Jesus. Why do I say that? Because Genesis 1.1 again says, In the beginning God, Elohim, created the heavens and the earth. Remember, out of nothing created. John 1.3 gives us more insight into this. All things were made through Him, Jesus, and without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Colossians 1.16 expands on this. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and earth and are on the earth, visible and invisible, Thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all things 
All things were created through him and for him. And then it goes on to say this in verse 5. These words are true and faithful. New things. All things new. True and faithful. Another hint that I believe this is Jesus that is talked about here. There's a big controversy in, in Christendom, whether this is God that is speaking here or whether this is Jesus. Well, I believe Jesus is God, so it is God speaking. Okay? These words are faithful and true. Jesus is called faithful and true in Revelation 19.11 and in 3.14. It seems the one on the throne is the same one who sat on the great white throne, and that is Jesus Messiah, Jesus Christ. Remember, in Exodus chapter 3, we see the burning bush in Moses. And we see God revealing to Moses that he is the I am. The I am. The I am the God of your father. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And might I say the God of the believer today. He is the I am. And he tells, tells Moses says, who do I tell Pharaoh that, that is sending me? And he says, the I am is sending me. And Jesus takes off on that thought in John chapter 8, verse 58. He makes this statement to the Pharisees who want him killed. He says, before Abraham was, I am. He is declaring he is the ego am I. He is the God that appeared in the bush. He is Yahweh himself. Jesus is God every bit as much as the Father is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The Son is God. What God's presence means to you is no more old earth ways. No more sin and death. No more flights of thought where you're going to be dunking on LeBron James. That will not come into your mind in heaven, okay? That's an earthly thing. That's a fleshly thing. And all things will be made new. Heaven is heaven because God will dwell with you. That's why it's heaven. The old is done. The new is spectacular for believers. Verse 6 and 7. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes, and we've talked about overcomers a lot, shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. What is done? He says all things are done. All rebellion is done. The eternal abode is now complete. Remember, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. He's, it's all complete, ready to come back. The task of creating the new order is done. It's all done by the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. Revelation 1.8, Jesus is referred to as the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. And think about this. The beginning and the end of all things. That means all power. All authority, all everything is in Jesus, okay? And this one that is the Alpha and the Omega is your sustainer. He's your sustainer. He is your way maker. He is your weight bearer. He is your encourager. He is the one that is with you, will never leave you nor forsake you for all of your life. This is the one that is with you forever. The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus is the beginning, is the God of the beginning of creation, and Jesus is the God of the new creation. 
the beginning and end. What does Jesus offer all people? What does he say? The fountain of water of life. Freely. Freely. It's free. (laughs) The gift is free. Now the question is this. Why do so many refuse the gift? Isn't that interesting? Why, why refuse to accept it? And it say, I, I think it says they have a lack of thirst because it says it is offered to him who thirsts, to him who wants it. Life is available to those who want it, for those who thirst for it, thirst for it. Overcomers have taken of the water of life freely. What is the promised overcomers? They shall, watch what it says, inherit all things. Now, what does that mean to me? Well, we have a scripture in Romans chapter 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. Now, watch this, that we are children of God. You know what that is? Children, technon. That means you're born, a natural born child. We've been adopted into the family of God. God views us as a natural born child, a technon, a technon. And then we're heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If we indeed suffer with him, that we may be also glorified, made perfect with him. Very important concept. We will be inheritors, inheritors of what Jesus has, actually. Now look at the biggest deal of all is I will be his God. Excuse me. He, I will, I will, I, it's Jesus, God says this, I will be his God and he shall be my son, speaking to each of you, not speaking of Jesus. This is Jesus that's actually speaking. That son is this word, huios. Now, what's the big deal about a huios? A huios is a mature son who takes on the characteristics of his father, starts to look more and more like father. Remember, you have been born again into the family of God, and your whole journey is a journey of transformation, to be changed into the likeness of Christ, to not stay the old you, to be transformed, to become new. Presently, folks, we are oftentimes sons of God. We might act in concert with that title, a son of God, as we're maturing and acting more like the Father. But I will tell you most of the time, and you tell me if this is not true, most of the time, I act like a nepios. Now, I didn't write this on the screen, but I should have. Nepios. You know what a nepios is? A child, an infant, a baby. A nepios always wants their way. Now, I have a picture of me <laughs> when I don't get my way, okay? I want my way. This is a nepios. Now, look, at we think we're huioses, don't you? Don't we? We, we? I'm maturing. I'm a mature Christian. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. In one second, I can be a nepios. The transformation is just astounding. How quickly I can be okay and how quickly I can be pathetic. That is the truth. At least for me. Maybe it's not you. Now, Look, at, we're, we, we want to act like Hueyosas. We want to be convinced in ourselves that we're being conformed to the likeness of Christ and that sort of thing. And it's difficult here, but I want you not to be discouraged. Remember, it's not about perfection here. It's about direction. We're never going to be perfect here. 
we will always regress into that immature state. We are not perfect here. But there will be a day when we will be perfect and that immature state will never be seen again. And all I can say is, thank you, Jesus. And I can tell you, my wife will say, thank you, Jesus, too. <laughs> You're not going to see that, that guy again. Now, when we are perfected, folks, it will be spectacular. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I can't imagine being perfect. I can tell you that right now. Now, verse 8, for unbelievers, the awfulness, folks, will be forever. The joy we have will be forever, but the awfulness is also forever. And I want you to notice how God is not politically correct. God does not, does not couch things. He doesn't try to, try to hide what it really is. He tells it straight out in verse 8. But the cowardly, that is the faithless and the fearful. That's what a coward is. That's what, if you look it up, faithless and, and fearful the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, that's pornea. Any sexual act outside of the marriage covenant is prohibited by God. Okay? Don't do a Bill Clinton and act like you didn't do something when you did something. Okay? You have done a sin. It's pornea. It's a sexual act outside the marriage covenant. Sorcerers, that's pharmakia, that's drugs. Idolaters, anything you put before God, all liars, that would be each one of us, we're not perfect here, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, in contrast with the abundance that believers have, the unbeliever's fate is sadly, sadly, very, very different. Unbelievers, the cowardly, will end up all end up in the lake of fire, all unbelievers. Ask yourself this question. Since you have been saved, have, ever I, have I ever acted like a coward? Have I ever been faithless? Have I ever been fearful? Yep. Timid? Have I ever struggled with belief? How about liar and drugs and all that stuff? There's, Christians do this stuff all the time. It's, it's really important that we get this concept. How many times have I acted out of who I really am in Christ? See, Christ changes me. God looks at me different. I'm so thankful for that. He doesn't view me as I am. He sees me through the lens of Jesus. That's what we have to get across. Listen, thankfully, Jesus has rescued us. God does not see us as we are. He, and I, can't you just breathe a, 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 just a breath of relief from that? Just a, a sigh of relief. Folks, it's all about Jesus and what he has done. Otherwise, we are dead meat. Dead meat. Think about this. Let this sink in. Our destiny in heaven is, not the, is, is heaven, not the lake of fire, for one reason only. Jesus. Jesus. That's it. It's not because I'm great and wonderful. It's not because I've done anything terrific. I have merited nothing. Jesus has overcome, and his overcoming is credited to me. That's how the thing works. What a deal. Jesus does it all. Jesus pays all the price. Jesus takes all the wrath of God that I deserved. Jesus takes all the condemnation. And I get all the benefits of Jesus. I inherit what he has. 
That is a deal. I believe that the overcomer's chant for eternity will be this. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Can you say anything else, Rick? Oh, it's not a million years yet. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Just constantly. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Closing thoughts on this, on this talk. Now, we have learned that Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Jesus is coming to reign as King of Kings. And Jesus is coming to make all things new. Brand new, including us. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to fix your mind on this for just a second. Fix your minds on the love of God and how much he loves you. How God, who is transcendent above his creation, I want you to hear this. Transcendent doesn't that mean he is, the, he is all of creation. He's not the tree. He's not the rock. He's not the, not the stone. He's not, not a plant. He is transcendent. He is outside it. He is above it. Vast and beyond. He's self-existent, complete within himself. He's infinite, has no limits. Our amazing God is holy, total, complete purity, resplendent light. Our amazing God, who is immense, his love incomprehensible, bottomless, wants to share his love with me. Put your name there. He wants to share his love with me. I can only imagine. Now, in the eternal state, think about this. I can only imagine what awaits in the eternal state. The New Jerusalem, our base of operations. I can only imagine that. I can only imagine the beauty of that and what that will all mean. I can only imagine what our assignment will be. It's going to be a cool assignment. You're not going to, no, nobody's going to say, ah, oh, I hate my assignment. Well, now you get to do this. I want to do that. No, you'll never have that thought. I can only imagine the adventures that await us. And I can only imagine the fulfillment that we will enjoy forever and ever and ever. And know this. This is another word that will not enter your vocabulary. Boring. Boring. I'm so bored. I can't believe this. Are you ever going, you know, remember you go on vacation with your kids? Are we there yet? And you got a theme park there and, and they're bored. They're bored and an instant bored. No, that will not be part of who we are anymore. It's not going to be a drag. You're never going to have a feeling, oh, when is this going to be done? When is this, when is this shift going to end? God himself will be in their midst. I do not co fully comprehend what that means. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triunity of God within our midst, having relationship with Him forever. I can only imagine. I don't know what it'll be like. I can only imagine being bathed, bathed in the love of God forever. I don't know what that's going to feel like. The glory of God, the kabod of God, the heaviness of God, the love of God just surrounding us forever and ever and ever. Always dynamic, always new always realizing that God loves me forever. I can't imagine. God's love is amazing, off the charts, and it's directed at you, his child, right now. Right now. You don't have to wait for it. A.W. Tozer says this, the words, God is love, means that love is an essential attribute of God. Love is something true of God, but it is not God. 
It expresses the way God is in his unity being, as do the words holiness, justice, faithfulness, and truth. Because God is immutable, unchangeable, he always acts like himself because he is united within himself. He never suspends one of his attributes in order to exercise another. He doesn't, he doesn't just set aside his, his holiness and his righteousness and his wrath. Remember his orge and his thumos that we talked about in the past. He doesn't just set those aside. Those are as much part of God as the love of God is, of the mercy of God is. It's the totality of who God is. His love is immense. And now this one. The love of God is one of the great realities of the universe. A pillar upon which the hope of the world rests. But it is a personal, intimate thing too. God does not love populations. He loves people. And aren't you glad? He loves not masses but men. He loves us all with a mighty love that has no beginning and no end. Can you imagine that type of love forever? And I tell you, it is good to know that while we're here, that God loves you like that. It's good to know in a world of chaos, in a world where your ocean is turbulent, it is good to know that my God loves me to that degree even now. I can only imagine experiencing this depth of love forever. And all I can say, and all you'll be able to say is thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for making all things new, including me. And guess what? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. And you can tell that by just some of the things I say, okay? I can only imagine what awaits. And think about this. Think about your entrance into heaven and this love embracing you. And you saying, thank you, thank you, Thank you, Jesus, forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Again, you've given us your word to study, and we thank you for uh, this portion of Scripture. Lord, we've went through so much of judgments with the seal, trumpet and bowl judgments, and all the death and all the mayhem and Antichrist and all those things. And it's good to get a relief to know the love of God exists and is present with us even right now. And we will experience intimacy that will be off the charts one day. Thank you for this picture. And thank you, Lord, that you imprinted upon us that it's all because of Jesus. Jesus reconciled us, brought us into right relationship. Jesus redeemed us, paid the purchase price, his life for our life. He has adopted us as his children with full rights and privileges of a of a genuine, original child. Father looks at us as he looks through his son. Oh, Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for what he has done for each one of us that simply said, yes, I believe that you died for my sins. And I receive you as my Savior, as my God, as my Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can only imagine what you have prepared for us. In Jesus' name, amen.